this is the Mercy Mercy Jerome Kersey episode. Rest in peace, Jerome. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 25th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Rip City, and I got my man... Sage, man. Can you believe that this podcast has been around? This is the 25th birthday of it. I'm not even 25 yet. This is getting... We're consistent, and I love it, man. It's awesome. This is this is the Mercy Mercy Jerome Kersey episode. Rest in peace, Jerome one of my favorite Blazers of all time. I was thinking about this today, the number 25 episode. I can't believe we're a quarter of a century old. Yeah, but, but really, this this is for Jerome. Left it all on the court. We're going to do our best to leave it all on this podcast uh, tonight. And I think we're off to a good start. It's been a long-ass day for me. Full day of work, grocery shopping, chores around the house prepping for this podcast and we're recording right now starting at 9 47 at night so that's dedication right there jerome kersey would be proud of that dedication maybe i'll uh find that photo of me veronica and jerome kersey and post it on twitter <laughs> uh, jerome, Not, jerome went to i've a, actually got it yeah he's awesome he went to a lot of portland state basketball games that i happened to dj so uh i was always responsible and doing my thing up in this like little dangerous section of the stat center and one time veronica a fan of the show and jerome kersey took a photo and you can just see me in the edge of the photo working on the turntables because the the turntables i had are just were so broken we had to like duct tape everything just to keep it still so everything would work right <laughs> as a kid i definitely waited felt like for hours on hours to see Clyde Drexler at the, the Heritage Mall in Albany in 92. But not long after, my mom drove me up to Salem, to Salem Center. And Jerome was signing there. And, you know, I got an autograph of his as well. And it wasn't the only time I've met him. I met him a couple times through season ticket holder events back when I was a season ticket holder, right when I uh, moved up to Portland. And also a couple times as, you know, he would just walk through the office and you just say, hey, Jerome, how's it going? Uh, definitely going to miss that smile. His his death really impacted me because he was such a great member of the community and one of my childhood idols. It's almost like losing, you know, family because you you mm -hmm. watched them so closely growing up. You know, every every other day you were watching them for like nine months out of the year and now they're gone. So all we have are the memories, but thankfully they are they are fantastic ones. And you know, this one's for you, Jerome. And uh, you know, let let's let's dive right into into these games. The Blazers, they go three and three on the road. You have to take it. Oh, without a doubt you take it. You have to take it. If you tell any Blazer fan before the trip you are going three and three you take it and you move on to the rest of the season. Yes, it's very disappointing that they won the first three and were not able to pick up one of those those, those latter three games. But it, to me, it's really no surprise. The competition picked up. The defenses really put a lot of resistance on that Blazer backcourt. And it is a road trip for a young team. There are going to be growing pains. It might not be the worst thing in the world, though. Hopefully ESPN and, and CSC, or CNN and maybe Bleacher Report, they can all just like shy away from us now. Let us continue to play the underdog role. Just keep underestimating us. Don't look at us. Don't talk to us. I don't want to be noticed. I think this team plays better when they're just flying under the radar. The teams are better. Mm -hmm. Boston and Toronto were both riding double-digit home winning streaks. Detroit has our number. And I think that Golden State game, as, as beautiful as it was, woke up a lot of people, but it also mm. woke up a lot of teams. They know you can't just take this Trailblazer team lightly. And to be honest, the three teams that, that beat us in a row, they wanted it more. I felt like they they played the more aggressive role, especially on defense, and, and it really showed. But all in all, I think it really benefits Portland that Dallas has dropped a couple Houston, despite getting that, of course, Houston Rocket victory in Toronto, they're still struggling. They lost to the Bucks and the Bulls this week. 
um, and the Jazz have been struggling as well. So all said and done, Blazers are still tied for six after this six-game road trip with the Mavericks at 33 and 31. So what do you say? No harm, no foul? I would love to say that, but what we saw gave me pause in so many different ways. If we want to go to the Pistons game, it was so easy to derail uh, the Trailblazers' offense. Whenever Myers Leonard was in, and he was in a long time, the play was pick and pop with Myers. They would hedge really hard on the point guard. He would pass it to Myers, the, the, the helper. He would just get into Myers' area, like maybe six feet from him. Myers would pump fake, hesitate, and then we'd have to do the play all over again, waste like 15 seconds, and then we'd end up throwing an awful shot up. And I feel like that was a huge thing in that game. It, it was so just stop the Blazers offense, those three games. So that gives me pause. I mean, luckily, Dallas is playing bad. I mean, they're giving major, major minutes to David Lee, who's such a bad defender. Yeah, I'll agree with you. Uh on the part about giving me pause as well. Again, though, I think it all comes back down to expectations. We all need to come down from the roller coaster. Portland was playing so fantastic, but really everything they do from here on out is gravy, a cherry on top. Mm. I predicted 37 wins. They are easily going to surpass that. And I was being overly optimistic in the preseason. I think we need to just reel it back a bit. So we need to reevaluate our expectations. I think the, the, the expectations need to stay the same hmm. over the course of the, over the course of the season. They can change, but you can't go from saying I'm lottery playoffs. Oh, and all of a sudden I want to make the second round. I want to get the fifth seed. You, you got to have some wiggle room in your expectations, hmm. but you have to stay in a certain tier. I think the tier right now is just playoffs. Probably just forcing a game six would be fantastic for this team. How do you think the, the the levels are? Like, I think level one of your franchise is the 76ers lottery team. You're really hoping for to get lucky. Level two is, like, playoffs. Is that how you think? Like, there's three levels, contender, playoffs, and then lottery? And I think there's tiers inside yeah, of those Of course, levels. but, like, those are the three levels. Yeah, and I think Portland has made it to level two, exactly. but in no way, shape, or form would they be favored or should they be favored in any of the first round series that they could potentially match up with. Mm. Like I said, I would be thrilled if they were just able to force a game six. I mean, you're looking at playing a team possibly like the Golden State Warriors or San Antonio Spurs who only lost a combined 16 times in the regular season. And in my theory, you would have beaten them twice in a seven game series. That is fantastic. Uh, you have to keep the, the the expectations low because this is still the second or third youngest team. And outside of Damon CJ, there's just not that consistent third option. They There are a lot of holes. There's no rim protector. They're playing above their heads. Enjoy the wins when they come. But let's not be super upset when they do lose three straight because it's going to happen. It happened earlier in the season. It likely is going to happen later on because the schedule, whether you like it or not, is going to get tougher. And, you know, let's let's talk about that, that Pistons game, which really was uh, a blowout from from the get go. It was a 123 to 103 Pistons drubbing over the Blazers. And what pissed me off more than anything else was the Blazer defense. Oh, without a doubt. This, is, this is a Piston team that played the night before. They were on the second night of a back to back. They put up just 89 points against the lowly New York Knicks. Yet the Blazers offered up no resistance, let Reggie Jackson operate. He had uh, 31 points on the night. Add that to his 40 he had early in the season. He's averaging almost you know 35 and a half points per game against us this year. And it's because we're not trapping, we're not pressing, we're not double team. We're letting him walk the ball off the court, operate and pick and roll with Andre Drummond. If they take away the lob, he's shooting an easy foul line jumper every single time or maybe even going all the way to the cup. And it was time and time again, this base defense where you're leaving your players on the island, not having any help, not putting any pressure on the defense is not going to cut it. Mm. And frankly, I'm sick of it. I love Coach Dots. I think he's a really good coach, arguably top 10. But when it comes to defense, this team does not have a defensive strategy that even screams 
second round in the West, let alone contender. And that has to change if this team wants to take the next step because it starts on defense. This is the most negative I've heard you in a long time, but I agree 100%. This defense would be fine if it was the 1990s where you really are just focused on one or two things. It's a like multi, there's no way in hell that this defense could stop the Blazers offense. Why would you expect any team to be like yours? It, it, you're not some super scientific like scientist of basketball. People steal stuff. So why do you think that it's like, this will stop the 90s, 76ers, so it should stop the Warriors? No, there's you got to be flexible. And and I guess what's most frustrating is I've seen Stotts adapt this year. We've talked about him doubling Boogie Cousins. We watched him person as Gerald Henderson and Alan Crabb fought, you know, fearlessly over the screens in that Charlotte game this past uh, month in February uh, at the Rose Garden. Mm -hmm. Where is that type of intensity? And I brought it up on the message boards and they said, you know, is it a personnel problem or is it a coaching problem? I'm leaning towards coaching. It's been four years. Without a doubt. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's fine. Soft has been here four years. That game where Henderson and Crabber are fighting through screens is one of only a handful that I can remember us doing that. Our bigs, whether it's LaMarcus, Robin, Mason, Ed, Sag, completely back on the pick and roll. We're not hedging. We're not putting any pressure on the ball handler. And I just don't like the conservative approach. When you, Yes, if you take chances, you're going to get burnt. And I don't think you need to take a chance every time down the floor. But for God's sake, let's change up the defense once in a while to show to show the offense, hey, we've got something else up our sleeve. You're not just going to be able to operate your offense like this is a practice game. I think it's really like I said this for many, many, many different times. We should get an associate head coach that is a defensive specialist. What we have, it's Coach Stotts, is an elite offensive mind. And I think that's such an advantage over people that have defensive coaches. Offense is harder than defense. So we should get someone who is a defensive head coach, establish that, and use that. Boston's defensive coach left last year, Darren Ehrman. But they're still using his scheme. It's about finding the, the scheme that works and use it. It's, it, it, it's no shame in... Terry's game that he's not a good defensive coach. It's he's an offensive of top five offensive coach. Yeah, and, and that Pistons game wasn't really his finest hour either. His post game comments kind of irked me as well. Somebody asked why is Ed Davis only playing eight minutes, and he he said because Myers was working. Hell no, it was working. There's I'm not gonna bash on Myers. I, I think he has his place in the NBA. But when you're consistently running, like you mentioned, pick and pops for him, and he's not pulling the trigger on the three, that possession is essentially wasteless because by him pump faking and dribbling, you're having to reset an offense. To be honest, that's exactly what the defense wants you to do. Shot mm-hmm. clock's running down. We've got Myers Leonard dribbling the basketball. You take that anytime. You don't want guys shooting open threes or Dame or CJ creating with the shot clock winding down. You want the big man dribbling the basketball towards the hoop with really limited options. So if Myers is going to continue to play, he needs to start shooting the freaking basketball. He's too good of a shooter to keep passing up these shots. And I don't know how many more times we're going to keep talking about this, Mm -hmm. but shoot the damn ball, Myers. And it Uh, wasn't like they were bad shots. None of those shots. Open at the top of the key. And offense wasn't the problem in this game. You know, we put up 103 on the Pistons. Uh, CJ had it going. Dame had it going. No one else. Nope. For a little bit, yeah, no one else. Dame had 26, uh, CJ had 22. But you look at this game, it was one in the trenches because the Pistons had a 45 to 31 advantage on the glass, including 10 to 3 on the offensive boards. Uh, they killed us in the paint in the first quarter when they got out to the lead. We were never able to re- rebound. It was a 14-2 lead in the points in the paint. Portland did make up some ground as the Pistons only uh, ended up winning the, the paint battle 42-36. to But they set the tone in that first quarter by going into Drummond. It opened up the floor. Dude had like we, nine rebounds in the first quarter. You know, exactly. We couldn't rebound the ball. And what happens when you make things easy on an offense is they start to catch fire. 
And the Pistons only shot three of seven from three, which really is a little under 50%, not too bad in the first half. But they shot a blistering nine of 12 in that, that second half. So when you start giving players rhythm, they're going to feel like every shot's a good shot. So that's why I would have liked Portland to try and trap the ball handler, maybe force a couple turnovers, get on the break, get some free throws, because, you know, nothing was really working. And at the end of the day, you got to tip your hat off to Detroit. I think they should be a better team than their record. I mean, their their starters are fantastic. All of their starters scored at least, you know, 14 points. And frankly, they wanted it more. Oh, they were much hungrier. By Portland going small, you know, Van Gundy called them out after that Knicks performance, which, as he should, but by Portland going small, it took away their bread and butter, which is second chance points. Detroit was 15-0, second chance. You're not going to win any game against any opponent when scoring zero second chance points. And there was a five-minute stretch where Afro Aminu was supposed to guard Andre Drummond. Aminu was essentially the five. That is I, absolutely ridiculous. I wouldn't I would throw some help at Alfred Camino guarding Tobias Harris, who was the four. There's no way in hell that you're supposed you're letting a six nine skinny guy. He's not he's not a thick player guard the most powerful center in the NBA right now. It's absolutely ridiculous. I get that you want a speed advantage if you can get the ball to the hoop every time because you're so much stronger. I, it's mind boggling. I. Yeah, it, it was, it was, if I was Neil O'Shea, I'd be like, dude, don't ever do that when there's a bulldog center just getting every rebound. He got nine in the first quarter. That's I, don't, so- I don't know why a guy like Cliff Alexander wasn't active for this game. Once Detroit got into the penalty, Portland should have been hacking Drummond every opportunity. He's one of the worst, if not the worst, free throw shooters. You have to do something to disrupt them on offense. I guess that's just my frustration. We did nothing. We did our game plan, saw it wasn't working, and did absolutely nothing. And How would you feel if we tried to do something special, like doubling or hedging on Reggie Jackson, and we lost? I'd feel a lot better knowing we tried something than just, uh, we're, our rotations suck. So we're just going to keep it as is. That's insanity. Doing something the same way every time and expecting different results is insanity. I completely agree. And, I, you know, we've probably been ranting on this Pistons game long enough. Uh, very frustrating. Just wait till we get to Boston, man. You know, the, the Raptors game was equally frustrating. I was in, in Yahats this. How was your vacation, man? Yeah, I was in Yahats for my mom's 60th I have no idea what Yahats is. About 20 miles south of Newport. Um, actually, a lot of beautiful Oregon coast uh, sights and sounds. The uh, heck to head lighthouses like 10 miles away. Thor's Well um, at Cape Perpetua. Just just beautiful, beautiful uh, scenery, even when it's stormy. Uh, Olga and I can't wait to go back uh, in, in, the, in the summertime once the tide gets a little bit lower. You know, the sun's out, gets to see some Oregon sunsets. But thank you to you and the Magic Video <laughs> League Pass. Yeah, You've got me, Olga, my mom and my dad huddled around, you know, a laptop watching this game uh, up in Toronto. And it, it didn't look like it was going to happen at all. Uh, Portland did end up losing 117 to 115, but we were down, what, 15 points at one point in, in the fourth quarter. And DeMar DeRozan was just shooting free throws like nobody's business. 25 attempts. The Raptors got, I think, 50 plus total. And it was a boring-ass game to watch up until like the eight-minute mark of the fourth because the refs dictated how that game was going to be played, and they were awful calls on both sides. Mm. Toronto definitely got way more home cooking, but I will be the first to admit that Portland got a lot of calls they probably shouldn't have either early on in that game. And I don't want to see a free-throw fest. Like The first quarter took almost 50 minutes to, to complete. That, that's not basketball. I, I don't it, like stoppages in, in my in my game. I like to see a free flowing game. Let the guys play. If it's a foul, call a foul. But if you're putting your hands on a guy and it's not affecting the shot, I don't want to hear whistle. How how are you supposed to establish an offensive flow when <laughs> the game is getting stopped so frequently in the first half? It was absolutely ridiculous. I guess that's what makes games 
half dollar. So impressive. He is incredible. The Blazers, I believe, have had seven or eight instances of players scoring 50 or more. He's done it twice in probably three weeks. Insane. Mm -hmm. And he scores 50 on 28 shots, gets to the line 13 times. He he's unreal. The Raptors had no answer for him. And while a loss hurts him having that type of performance takes a lot of the sting off of it. At the same time, when you get 24 from a column two and your and your big, your big guns get 74 combined, that is a tough pill to swallow that you lost that game. However, I'm not going to be too upset because I think DeMar DeRozan got some MJ in his prime type calls. And if had that game been officiated correctly and fairly portland wins you will not hear me bitch or complain hardly at all about the officials on this podcast but that game was horrendously in favor of toronto and i don't know any team's going to beat um another one when they're when the home team's allowed to shoot 50 plus free throws it was egregiously bad let's move on yeah you know hats off to dame it's just terrible that it was lost in in one of in one of the worst officiated games of the season (sighs) <sighs> this one hurts me the most. This one we're about to talk this about. This one hurts me a lot, too. It, uh, we're talking about the Blazers and the Celtics back on Wednesday of this week. Yep. The Celtics ended up winning this one 116-93, to but it was Portland who came out as the aggressors, and I'm still at work at this point, and looking at the box score, I'm 28-18 Blazers? You know, holy shit. Like... <laughs> Let's go, boys. Let's keep it up. I even sent a G chat to one of my coworkers, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is a great start. We might win this." I'm walking home. I'm checking the box score, and you, you can just even checking the box score. I get this, you know, the feeling of this is not not despair. Good. Despair is a great word. All of a sudden, we're up six, and then it's three, and it's tied. And then I come home, and I'm I'm watching the middle part of the second quarter, and I believe we go down like six at half, and I can see just we have no answer for Isaiah Thomas. Uh, he had 19 points in the first half, ends with 30. Uh, Boston was just running us to death in the first half, 14 to five fast break points. And it was just, it was a terrible performance by the Blazers. Yeah, absolutely. It was awful. There's, there's no really nice way to put it. This was the worst performance of the road trip by far. Was it as bad as the Philly game? Because I thought about that. It's tough. Philly, you can maybe make the case where they overlooked them and the Sixers got off to a good start and they were so hungry for a win. This game upset me a little bit more because Boston's a good team. You should get up to play them. And this is your chance to get that elusive like fourth win on the road trip to go over 500 and... People want to say that they were tired fourth game in five nights. Okay, I get it. Let's not make that as an excuse. This is an NBA team that can realistically go 11 deep. So if you're tired, ask out of the game. Let's get some fresh bodies in there. But when you see players just not putting their hands up on defense, not boxing out, we just got murdered on the glass 57 to 48. Boston had 19 to 12 offensive rebounds advantages. And... uh that that was the story of the game. The Celtics scored 116 points despite shooting 40% from the field. They got 107 field goal attempts up against this Blazer defense. That just that's not tired legs. That that's effort. And I am one of the biggest Blazer fans of all time. But if my team's not going to put out the effort, I will call them out. Yeah. And that's what I saw. I still love them. It's going to happen once or twice a season. Doesn't mean I have to like it. But no. you want you want to claim four games of five nights. I want to claim it's more of just letting that be an excuse and a crutch. Like, oh, I'm tired. I'm not going to play D. That's what I saw. Yeah, you actually got into mad arguments that that game. I was like, I wanted to let it go, but I'm like, oh, that's my... Essentially, you're my teammate. I'm not going <laughs> to let you take all the, the hate yourself. So I, 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 that's I was I'm just trying about. to call it objectively. I know <laughs> other people have different agendas or different exactly. points of view. Exactly. And, and that's fine. That That's what we're here for. It's what Twitter's for. It's for expressing your opinion. But, you know, I'm very optimistic about my Blazers. So if you see me get negative, it's for a reason. And that game was a huge reason to call them out. And, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's a 
road trip in in the middle of February, in the middle of March. The season's almost over. I, I get it. Basketball people think it's easy just to play basketball for two hours a night and suit. No, it's no, not easy. It's a, it's a grind. It's a grind. It's not easy to travel. I mean, just think about traveling. If you're traveling for work, even if you have like a two hour flight and then you got to come back, you're exhausted. Mm. These guys do it for about six to eight months every year. It doesn't get any easier. It only gets harder with age. So I do understand that they're tired. But what I saw was a more of a lack of effort than just tired legs. That was a little bit frustrating. It was another game where it was really just Dame and CJ. Dame had 20. CJ actually started off like gangbusters. He was 5 of 5, ended up with 17 points. Unfortunately, he missed his last eight field goals. I think they moved Jay Crowder onto him. And then, yeah. Well, I think what happened is the Blazers just have not been getting anything from their bench. When they are clicking, it's no coincidence mm. that you've got Mo Harkless, Myers Leonard, Gerald Henderson, uh, Alan Crabb all playing lights out. And really, that's what they need because there's not a traditional third score. It's going to have to come from four or five different parts. Mm. And when all of those parts aren't producing, and even at that time, Alfred Camino was struggling Mightily. Just, yes, mightily. It was that Pistons game was really the first time in felt like a month that he's actually produced on offense. So when you're relying just on two players to score, it, it's tough. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it is a grind. But again, another game where it's a tough matchup. And Portland will have their chance later on this month in, in Rip City to avenge that loss. And we'll see how they, they do it. Uh, Boston's a tough matchup. They have a lot of great guards who play tough defense and attack the paint. You know, hats again, hats off to Boston. They were the better team that night, but uh, Portland did pick up one win this week. It was a uh, pretty easy victory in the second half, a 104 85 dub in Madison square garden. Uh, Lillard really just opened up that game. He had eight points in a minute, finished with 30 uh, at the time. It was his eight 30 point game in, in his last nine got to the line 10 times, six assists, four boards. And then you factor in CJ getting 25 on under 20 shots, which is fantastic. It was a game where it was, okay, Dame, do your thing. CJ, no, I'm going to pick it up this quarter. Dame, okay, and CJ. So back and forth, pick your poison, New York. That's what I love to see out of this backcourt. And I think we're only going to see more of that as these two players continue to play alongside one another. Get that uh, continuity, chemistry, all that good stuff. And I, I love that they're so open about sharing the basketball. It's, it's mm. not an ego thing with them. But again, they played fantastic, got 55. But you look at the bench points, Portland 39 to 20. When they get production from their bench, they are just, they're really difficult to beat. I mean, because you can't just blitz Dame or CJ because you know the guy open the three-point line is going to cash it in. Uh. I mean, what else about this game? Ed Davis was a beast. Nine points, perfect 4-4 shooting, nine rebounds, two blocks in 23 minutes. Portland only has seven turnovers. Out-rebounded the Knicks 55-46 and shot an impressive uh, 12-30 of from three. Even ran the Knicks 11-3 fast break points. So they did all the little things you need to do to win. Uh, going back to Ed Davis, though, that's why he should have played against the Pistons. He is our only really rim protector inside, and we're going to need more of him. We do well when Ed plays well. And he's it, he's not like the typical rim protector. He's really good at help D in getting shot. But he's not a real dominant post defender, as in, yeah. I'm in the post. He's going to help you like off help, not the, the typical Alonzo morning, I'm going to block every shot. It's a, I'll, I'll help on help defense. And it's not necessarily even blocking shots. It's just altering Changing. shots. Yeah. yeah, the threat of him being there with his ridiculous wingspan. He has some hops as well, man. He but- has some hops. He's young. Great pickup by Olshay. All in all, three and three road trip again. We'll take it. It would have been nice if Portland could have escaped Toronto or Detroit or Boston with a victory because Dallas and Houston, Utah are struggling. So the extra game would be huge. Like we said, the schedule is, is just not getting any any easier, especially when you've got the Warriors twice, the Spurs once, the Clippers once, the Mavs twice, the Thunder twice. You're looking at six games of the final eighteen, so a third of a third of the season left, 
is against four of the five best teams in the NBA, and only two of those are on your home floor. Mm-hmm. So whether we like it or not, unless Portland upsets a lot of teams, you're looking at a few losses added onto this total, which makes games upcoming this week even more important. I Sage, there's still 18 games left in the season, so we'll have plenty of time to dive into free agency talk. But as it stands, the Blazers are 33-31 and 31 and have a very important three-game stretch upcoming this week before they head out on that most vaunted four-game road trip that we will discuss on next week's next week's podcast. But the three games that are in question start tomorrow night uh, in, at the Rose Garden versus the Washington Wizards at 7 p.m. For those watching out of state, that game can be seen on NBA TV. Uh, Friday night, they have a, a big rematch with the Golden State Warriors in Golden State at, at 7.30. And the Blazers follow it up with a back-to-back Saturday night against the Orlando Magic at 7.30 as well before taking off for that four-game road trip. Sage, this has to be a 2-in-1 week at the minimum for the Blazers. Let's just throw that out there. Absolutely. you agree? Absolutely. So let's start w- with the Washington Wizards. They are 30-32. and 32. Uh, Brad Beal is going to be out for their three-game mm-hmm. road trip. He has a sprained pelvis. Uh, and stress not- fractures. Let's just be real. He has a stress yeah, fracture he- in that... He- he honestly reminds me of Eric Gordon. Same body type, same type of player. Injuries are going to derail what could have been a promising career. There's many different... Uh, you know what? I can't say why Eric Gordon uh, ruined his career. But I don't think Bradley Beal is going to do what Eric Gordon did. No, but in the sense of injuries are going to take away from what could have been. Yeah, but Eric Gordon could have fixed this, but didn't. Either way. That's neither here nor there. (laughs) But this will be the first game back for the Trailblazers after a long road trip. In most instances like this, the first home game is almost still like a de facto road game. Portland can't get too comfortable now that they're at home. They can't just automatically think because they're playing in front of one of the best fan bases in the NBA that all is going to be right with the world and all Mm. of a sudden their jump shots are going to fall and the other team is just going to crack under the pressure. The Blazers have to take this game seriously because of that Warriors game that's coming up. And I'll tell you what, Sage, if they lose this game, they're going to lose in Golden State. You do not want to have a five-game losing streak happening at this point of the season. Uh, so how do the Blazers once again beat the beat the Wizards? Uh, if you remember correctly, it was on January 18th. Portland went into Washington. It was directly after that 25-point beatdown in Philly. They responded with a, a 10-point victory in D.C., 108-98. to C.J. led the way with 25. Uh, Myers actually was just on fire, 7 of 10 from the field for 18 points, and uh, they really limited John Wall. He got off to a slow start, really only ended up with 9 points on 4 of 17 shooting, and uh, it was a game that Portland just got rolling from deep and uh, never let up. 17 of 31 from the three-point line. We can't expect them to shoot that well from three. I don't think you can expect Wall to shoot four of 17 again. So how can they come into this game and knock off the Wizards without Bradley Beal once again? But Marcin Gortat has been absolutely killing it the last few months. Like before, after it seemed like after the Blazers played him, Marcin just went on a double-double rampage. He's playing at a really good uh, clip. So... I think that is something we need to look out for. Mason Plumlee has to be on his game as far as defending Marcin. Uh, It's all about stopping John Wall. He's the heartbeat. He is the best player. He's the star player on that team. So we have to have a good defensive strategy for how to stop John Wall. He is absolutely one of the speediest players in the NBA. He has quicks for days. That's going to be a problem. I think... You can't just let John Wall get 40 and 10, which he's able to do pretty consistently. I think you you hit the nail on the head. You've got to keep Wall out of the passing lanes and out of the fast break. He he scores five points on the fast on on the break. That's fifth most in the NBA. And of all players under six seven, he gets the tenth most points in the paint at seven point five. So he can get into the lane. He can dunk. He can dish. He's a fantastic uh, 
passer. I believe he's third in the NBA in assists per game. Athlete, too. He just, you you have to live with him shooting that mid-range jumper because that's the weakest part of his game. Shooting, definitely. It's like playing a Derrick Rose when he can just get to the line, get to the lane like nobody's business, but you really want him shooting that jump shot because, yes, he can be on, but that's that's not where he wants to be, and mm-hmm. that's not where his team needs him to be, but that's where Portland has to put him in that position to, to shoot that shot. Mm-hmm. And if he's hitting it, he's hitting it. you got to do something about it, maybe double him. Uh, trap him, but first I would make him prove that he can hit that jump shot. Mm-hmm. I think what Portland has to do again is limit their turnovers. Mm-hmm. Washington forces uh, 16.2 turnovers per game. That's fifth most in the league. Uh, they score almost 18 points off of turnovers. That's the sixth most uh, in the NBA as well. Uh, they did a pretty good job last matchup of only committing 15 turnovers and if we all remember that game correctly, Portland was up even more than 10. Uh, Washington just, just made a late push, and Portland uh, got out scored 22-14 in the fourth. That's where four of Portland's uh, 15 turnovers occurred in. So they got a little bit sloppy late, but, that's on, but that only uh, enhances that point even more, that if they get sloppy with the ball, it's going to allow Washington to get back into this game. And uh, Sage, uh, I really think the X factor is going to be uh, second chance points and fast break points. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at. Are you scared of Markeith Morris? No, I've, I've, you know, I even forgot about Markeith Morris. That's another player Portland has to watch because Marcus Morris hit a couple of big buckets against oh, us. Oh yeah, he did, man. And they're even they're essentially the same player. But I think Portland has to get second chance points. They scored zero in their last game against Detroit. They need to be pissed off about that. That mm-hmm. needs to be a bulletin board material. And like I said, fast break points. The Wizards. They only allow uh, 11.6, excuse me, going back to second chance points, they only allow twelve less than 12 second chance points. That's mm-hmm. sixth most in the league. So they do a great job, like you said, of Gortat, Nene, uh, Marquis, of keeping the Blazers and the opponents off the glass. So Portland really needs to hammer home the offensive boards. Fast break points, you've got to keep these Wizards from running the break. They score 19 points on the break. That's second most. It really comes down to taking care of the basketball. And I've seen the Blazer guards, especially when they get pressed, make some pretty lazy passes. This team won't let up. Mm-hmm. They got athletes, man. They got athletes. Uh, Wall, and lastly, Temple's a great defensive player. Otto Porter can play Temple defense. Temple had a big game against us uh, in place of Bradley Beal uh, last time around as well. And, and finally, the Blazer bench needs 35 points. Uh, last meeting, they had 47. Really were the catalyst in that victory. And it's time for guys like we mentioned Henderson and Crab and Leonard and Harkless. It's time for them to, to pick it back up and provide this scoring power that we got so accustomed and used to seeing over that 2022 20, game stretch. So what's your X factor, my friend? Well, generalizing role players play better at home. So we should hope for a little bit of a pick me up. But I mean, to ask for like 50 points from our benches, a little it's not sustainable, but 30 is fine. I think that um, we got to limit Gortat. He's, he gets rebounds, and then it leads to transition buckets. Got to box him out. Can't let him have a big game. So, Would you put him in the pick and roll with Plumlee? Make him move his feet on defense? Yeah, man. Got to tire him. He's a, big, he's a big, bulky dude. Tire him out. I mean, it's, it's what you got to do to get these dubs. Because if he gets tired on defense, that's the less energy he's going to have to uh, exert on offense, grabbing those rebounds. And I mean, going from of uh, going from Marcin to Nene is a humongous drop off right now. So if we can get him tired, get him into foul trouble, do something, it, it, it's going to be a good thing for us. What's your prediction? In I'm this going. Du- I'm, game? I'm going to win. I think it has to be a win. Absolutely. I think this team realizes it has to be a win, and I'm looking for them to get that sour taste out of their mouth. Three straight losses with this team right now, too many. Let's end this losing streak. Let's start a new one. Like we said, the schedule only gets tougher. You have to beat teams under 500 at home. I like the Blazers in. It's going to be. It's. I'll be at the game, so it'll likely be a close game because that seems uh, to be the. Likes to mess with your emotions while you're there, huh? Yep, that seems to be to, to be the script that happens when, when I'm in attendance. 
but I think it'll be a close one. Portland will pull it out. And then we have the rematch. The Blazers go into Oracle to take on the 56 and 6 Warriors. The first time these two teams met, we know Dame had 40, but the Warriors uh, escaped, not not escaped. They took a 20-point victory, and it really wasn't that close on January 8th. But then the Blazers, the first game after the All-Star break on the 19th of February, blew out the Warriors, 137 to 105. Lillard drops a career-high 51, and that was the game where Andrew Bogut, I mean, they all got hurt because we were scoring with like six or seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they were were ticked off. Yeah, that we had our starters in, and you know they were finally the ones getting clown stomped. It was them on the receiving end of the stomping. Uh, Will they have that in the back of their minds? I don't know, but I'm thankful they got stomped by the Lakers, so the Blazers weren't their last loss of the season. (laughs) So you you did your Nostradamus thing and predicted a W. Can you see a W tonight, or when we play against the Warriors this week? Here, here's my here's my thought. No also, team, no team in NBA history has ever gone forty-one and zero at home. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't happened. The the Warriors, they have, I think they still have like fifteen or sixteen straight, not straight, fifteen or sixteen games left at Oracle Arena this year. You feel like it's got to happen. It's got to be some random ass team. I want the Blazers to be that random ass team that knocks them <laughs> off again. All right, how do we do it? How, how, because you know, you know they're going to be up to play the Spurs again at home. You know they're going to be up to play uh, whoever else, if they even have any other elite I, opponents. It's well, going to be I think one of those. New Orleans is playing them this week, but that's not an elite opponent. Exactly. Yep. Portland is a good team. They have knocked them off before, so Golden State will definitely be on high alert. But. I think Portland's actually a good matchup for, for the Warriors, as insane as that sounds. How does Portland do it? it it's going to take a lot. I think you have to look back at, at the game against the Warriors the first time around. What did they do? They didn't let Clay Thompson get off to that fast start. He did in that January matchup. I believe he had 19 first quarter points. They limited him to 23 points. You know Curry's going to get his 30. The dude averages 30. That's just a regular game for this dude. He's an alien. He's not real. So you can't let Clay then get 35, and then you're looking at 65, 70 points from a starting backcourt. That's going to be impossible to beat. So I think you definitely have to hold Clay Thompson under 25 points. I think it's a game where you have to be better than Golden State at shooting the three. Mm-hmm. As a difficult a task as there is to do in the NBA because they're the best three-point shooting team in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But Portland did it. The last matchup, they shot 17 of 30 from deep. Golden State was just 12 of 34. I think my final X factor, bench scoring. That, that's going to be a key throughout this whole podcast. The Blazers are a very difficult team to beat when you've got six to seven options mm-hmm. on offense that can score at any given time. They outscored Golden State 41 to 30 on the bench. And I know I said that was my last one, but the very last one, you cannot let this game get away early. Mm -hmm. There's no way in hell you can get down by double digits in the first quarter and beat this Warriors team at home, let alone on the road. Mm -hmm. You have to keep this close. It has to be a game where it comes down to probably the final quarter. You have to find a way to keep yourself within striking distance and always keep the threat of your comeback in the back of your opponent's mind. And, you know, I think this could be another big game for Mo Harkless. He played a key role in that Warriors game. If we all remember, Myers Leonard did not play in that game. It's not the best matchup for him. Absolutely not. Can, can a guy like Noah Vonley play that just pressure defense on Draymond Green at the top of the key like he did in the in that second matchup? He, he took them out of their offensive flow just by pressuring Draymond. Golden State committed 13 turnovers in that third quarter they lost their composure they're likely not going to lose their composure at home Mm -hmm. so that's going to be a tough ask but Vonley can still do uh what he can against Draymond and his ability to switch on defense is one of the the, biggest the uh, Blazers have to want this game on defense Mm -hmm. they have to give everything they've got on defense because you give this Warriors team just the sliver just the slightest of inches uh, of, of of clear light Daylight, it's over. Lights out. They're, 
I watched that game a week or two ago at OKC when they had that mm-hmm. uh, miraculous comeback. Curry was fantastic, but what stuck out in my mind is how insanely quick guys like Clay Thompson caught the ball in the shooting position and let it fly. I mean, it was tenths of a second. It's crazy how quick eh, I'm just at a loss for words. It's going to be it's it's almost an insane ask to to expect or even think about a Blazer victory in this game. How would you go about beating this Warriors team at home, Sage? Well, you talked about stopping Clay Thompson. I think he struggles when you put a taller defender on him. So I would put CJ McCollum on Harrison Barnes. You just take... If Harrison goes off, you know what? Let's increase your free agent value, whatever. But putting a taller person on Clay frustrates him. And again, you can't... There's so many weapons, you got to stop at least one. So I would put Al Farouk on him. And I think it's all about intelligence. It's This is the smart... I feel like this is the smartest team in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors. You have to match that. And they've had the smartest minds crafting their team. Mike Malone and... uh Crap, I said his name for Boston. But uh Ehrman. Ehrman? Yep. Those two crafted that defense. Those are two of the smartest defense minds in the game right now. And then Alvin Gentry, say what you will, he's smart on offense when there's an elite point guard. So that team was put together with some extremely intelligent people, and the players are intelligent enough to run this their schemes extremely well. So we have to be as smart as them and limit mental mistakes. And mental mistakes as you when Steph Curry sets a screen on Clay Thompson, both defenders don't automatically go to Curry. And leave Clay Thompson open for an easy J. It's all about intelligence against this team. And it's t- intelligence and communicating with each other. I think those are the two big X factors. And it's something we can't, as fans that aren't there, see it. But it, you have to be able to communicate with each other. And I think you made a perfect segue for me talking about the Golden State defense. Uh Offensively, the Warriors are actually better on the road. They average 115.5 on the road. 114.6 at home. I was surprised to see that when I when I was researching this game, I expected their numbers just to just go through through the roof at, at Roracle because they are 27 and 0 at home and they've won what 45 <clears throat> straight regular season games. But they win with defense at home. They allow just 99.4 points per game in Oakland. They force 15 points the 15 turnovers at home uh, compared to just 13.6 on the road. And the opposition just does not shoot well in that building against that team. 42.5% compared to 44.4 when Golden State's away. Mm-hmm. So they, they win with defense. Are you going win? You know, why not? Do it. I, Do it. I, I think, and it's not just to, just to say win. I truly believe that one team is going to upset the Warriors this year at home. I think Portland, of the teams left on their schedule, provides the best matchup for them. Dame is from the Bay. This will be a homecoming game for him as well. He, I believe, scored 37 his second season in the league. Maybe it was his first. His first or second year, he set his career high in Golden State uh, against Curry and the Warriors. So you know he's going to show up and show out. Uh, he's got Oakland written on the bottom of his sneakers. Uh, he's got the tattoo of the of the city's logo on, on his chest. He lives and breathes Oakland. He's going to be ready for this matchup. Portland is going to have two full days to prepare for this game. I think if one team is going to get them, it's going to be the Blazers, and it's going to be this time. I mean, it could be next time, but you're likely not going to beat them on the second night of a back-to-back, which would be the scenario in April. Um, yeah, screw it. Let's go win. Let's go. Let's go big victory. I think if they get this win, it really catapults them the rest of the season. However, I would be satisfied if they just kept the game close. But I, I've got a weird feeling. I think if they can beat the Wizards, that they might find a way to break that Oracle curse. You know what? Your optimism is something I, I got to give you props for. It's it, it's. I wish I had it. Because what is there to lose if you say Blazers win? Nothing. And I think that's what the Blazers are going to take into that game as well. There's nothing to lose. Every single person 
pundit, expert, analyst, fan is expecting us to lose this game. Why not play us? free? Why not us play free? Let it fly. Play with the exact type of feeling you did when you're in front of your home fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not going to have that extra energy with you. But the what, what I noticed about that game, and it got the Blazers into a little bit of trouble towards the, the end of the second half, or the first half, excuse me, is they played quick. They didn't hesitate. They saw an open shot. It didn't matter if there was 20 seconds or two seconds left on that shot clock. They were letting it fly. They saw an opening. They weren't going to pass up a good shot against this defense. And they made Golden State work. And as the game went on, they built built confidence. They've just got to play freely. Now, if they show up and they let the stage get too much for them, uh, they let the crowd get in their heads, they start thinking about those winning streaks Golden State has, it's going to be over before they even tip up the basketball. But if they come mentally prepared, they can walk out of there with a victory. I'm, I'm, I'm saying loss. I mean, but... And you're probably not, not wrong thinking about it. I mean, exactly, but... That game you predicted was right, and people that listen to that show knows it. So, I, for some reason, that means something to me, but I'm saying loss. And I will say, if, if they don't get them this time, I think they'll get them next time. I just think it's a good matchup for, for Portland. And again, one team is going to have to beat the Warriors at home. Why not us? Mm-hmm. So, last game of the week. Back-to-back against the Magic. This game, I had a tough time really like researching and looking. The Magic are just 27 and 35, a 10 and 19 on the road. Uh, the teams have matched up once earlier this year on the 18th of, of December. Orlando won 102 to 94. Uh, Vucevic had 25 and 11. Previous, uh, formerly of the Orlando Magic, Tobias Harris had 25 in that game as well. AKA Sage's Boo Bear. Along with Chris Middleton. Along with a lot of DN3 players. Exactly. I know what I like. All right. So it was really, I mean, just looking at this team, you're thinking, okay, who do they have? You know, Peyton, Oladipo, Fournier, Vucevic, Aaron Gordon, who didn't really play in that first game. Channing Frye is now gone. It's really a much different Orlando team, but I still think it starts and finishes with with Vucevic, especially in the paint. He averages 9.2 points in the paint. and He's a beast. He's one of the most underrated players in the game. If you haven't seen him play, watch him. He is a fantastic double-double machine, and he really has been for the past three or four years. Absolutely. Um, Aaron, you mentioned Aaron Gordon. One sec. You mentioned Aaron Gordon, and he is a very good defensive player. Very good. He hasn't developed that shot. And that's a problem, but he gets you steals, blocks, rebounds, assists, everything other than shooting. And if he gets hot, that's when Orlando wins, is when he actually puts in 15, 20 points. That's when Orlando is clicking on all cylinders. And I think that's the matchup to watch. You've got young Noah versus young Aaron Gordon, both from the same draft class. Be great to see how Vonley does on the defensive end. Maybe he can even get a couple of buckets. But I think this game is going to be won on the three-point line for the Blazers. Opponents take a lot of threes, uh, 25.3, which is six most. They make a lot of threes, uh, nine on Orlando, which is seventh most. And they shoot a great percentage uh, against this Orlando team, uh, almost 36%, which is 12th Orlando. That's 12th most in the league. Portland, they're a three-point shooting team. If Orlando's going to give them that that shot, that's what they have to take. They have to make those threes in this game because, like like we've said, Vucevic is a beast inside. And uh, frankly, if the Washington game is a must-win, this is a must-win as well. Mm-hmm. I know it's maybe over overthinking it too much or um, maybe knee-jerk reaction, but it really is. You're looking at a four-game road trip, the toughest of the year, uh, heading or coming up directly after this game portland they have to take care of business against a sub 500 team on on their home floor what do you think their thought process was in trading tobias harris what do you think it was i mean i have no idea i i don't because they didn't get a lot of value in return for him the contract didn't seem too bad maybe it was the fit maybe he is more of a a four than he is a three 
And I think he fits extremely well in Detroit. But but why didn't he fit well in Orlando then? Detroit's got Drummond. They've got Vucevic. You would think... I think it's about one too many guard wing players for Orlando. So I think that's why they traded him. But at the same time, they're just cutting money so they can get Evan Fournier a max contract. Go Which, for it. Exactly. I don't think he's max worthy. He had a good first month and a half. And the rest of the time, he has just been falling out of that rotation. But whatever. I think Brandon Jennings is just a contract. Do you think there's any thought process in... We got Aaron Gordon. He's the power forward of the future, hopefully. Do you think... We need to get a guy who can stretch the floor like Channing Fry because he's gone, but is not challenging Aaron Gordon for starting power forward minutes. Do you think that was a thought process for him? In moving Channing Fry? And Tobias Harris, yeah. Well, I think moving Channing Fry, they probably realized that he was not in their career arc of their Absolutely young Absolutely not. And they were able to get, um, didn't they get a second round pick out of it? They, I don't. Yeah. They they shed salary. Yeah. Uh, More Evan Fournier contract. That's all. Yeah. I, see. I didn't understand that signing in the first place last year. So. I think he's all right, but he's not like. But again, he's a player who is going to take your team hopefully over over the top or be one of the the eighth eighth man on the bench to give you that just that mm-hmm. last little bit of offense that you need to be that stretch for. For a title contending team, I don't see how he was going to be the difference maker making Orlando go from lottery to postseason contender. Mm-hmm. Uh, so both those moves kind of scratch my head a bit. But uh, back to the matchup, one thing to watch out for is the free throw line. Mm-hmm. You don't want the Magic to get a lot of foul shot attempts because they average only 19.4 free throw attempts a game. That's the fewest in the league, and they only make 14.9. Again, the fewest in the league, so they don't get a lot of points from the free throw line. Let's not foul Orlando. Let's not make life any easier on them. And it can be because they've got guards who can get to the hoop, like uh, Peyton and Oladipo, and Vucevic can be a menace down low. So the Blazers just need to play good, solid defense, stay out of foul trouble. We've seen what can happen to them when they get into foul trouble early, like the Toronto game. Uh, Free throws dictated that game. And... uh, my X factor is going to be actually the battle of the boards. Mm. What's your X factor, Sage? Defending Aaron Gordon. You're hyping him up a bit. You know he's probably going to have a shitty ass game, right? Uh, I think that he's the glue that holds them together. Really? Yeah. He's going to give you steals, blocks, rebounds. If he scores points, that's where we lose. I uh, see. I just. If if Aaron Gordon's the make or break, I think Portland's got bigger bigger concerns than that. This should be a game where I think they well, handle them. Well, I think Fusevitz is a constant. Yeah. So what X factor? I think stopping him is the is something we need to do. So yeah, I'm going Aaron Gordon. Hey, yep. my predictions with Orlando Magic have been pretty good this year. So okay. <laughs> like I said, I think it's got to be the rebounding. We saw Portland get just destroyed on the glass against Detroit. Do you hit? Uh, do you defend? Uh, uh, wow, not Emmanuel Moutier. They're the same person, but uh, Peyton, the same way you will John Wall, make him prove that he can shoot this game. Yeah, you defend him like he's Rondo. You beg him to shoot the basketball. You cannot let him get into the paint and get easy buckets. Um, but Portland, they, they going back to to the rebounding. They just have to pound the glass. Keep mm. Orlando off off the off the offensive glass. They average nearly 11 a game. Uh, Portland does actually a good job of that. They average 34 defensive rebounds per game. But where Portland is going to win this game is on the offensive glass. They average 11.6, which is third most. And you don't have to worry about the magic leaking out and running on the fast break because they only get a little over 11 fast break points, which is which is 10th fewest. That's always the, the risk when going all in for the offensive glass is the other team leaking out and running. It's not an Orlando team looking to do that, even though they have the athletes to do so, Absolutely. Which, which is a little bit of a, of a scheme, I think, downfall by the, by the Orlando staff, because I would look to run and gun if I was that team. But that's not the, that's not their MO. Portland, I think, can beat them up on the boards, get those easy, cheap second chance points, get the crowd involved. And 
it also helps when you're not shooting the basketball really well. Portland will be on the second night of a back-to-back. They could have tired legs. That usually is effective on the jump shots because that's the first thing to go when you're tired is your legs. That's why you just get inside. Just beat them up on the boards. I can't stress that enough. If the Blazers do that, they will win. I think they're going to grind it out. It's not going to be as easy as most people think. But I think we're looking at like a 101-95 Blazer victory. What say you, my friend? I mean, Orlando's record is pretty bad, but they got talent. So close game is probably what it's going to be. I still think Blazers will win. So I think it's a 2-1 week. 2-1. I'm going blindly optimistic and saying a 3-0. Although I think 2-1 is the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Bare, bare minimum. All right, Sage, it's about 11.09 p.m. on a Monday night. We got a couple fan questions. It is mail time. Exactly. So why don't, you, why don't you hit me with your first fan question? So one of my friends, Joe, asked, is there a chance that the Blazers trade for a pick in the uh, 15 to 20 range? And what type of player would you draft? I think there is a fantastic chance the Blazers do that even as I contradict myself in saying that's not really what they need to do early on in the podcast. And I say this because I think there's a chance, one, Olshay loves the draft, but two, Paul Allen loves the draft even more than Olshay, even more than you and I combined. I still think it is important to always have an influx of, of young talent. However, I don't know if they'll be able to do so. I thought they could have traded Henderson or Myers Leonard for that pick at the the deadline now those players are free agents and you, you you can't trade a free agent so you're looking at possibly you're not trading dame or cj so your realistic assets are aminu ed davis mason Plumley. that's it yeah that's 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 all you have so well i think there's a chance i think there's an extremely especially i don't know if you trade those players for a 15 to 20 pick so actually after talking it out no there's not a chance um, I got his second part of the question where who it is for the who it is? I would love Denzel Valentine. I think All he's right. going to be the skill of yep. the draft. He is a player who plays for Michigan State. For those that don't know, really puts up Brandon Roy type of numbers when he was at UW. Just a jack of all trades can do anything he wants on offense, but also rebounds extremely well for his position. Passes the ball, r- really a triple double threat each time he steps on the court. Uh, he's a guy who I've been eyeing, and if the Blazers miss the playoffs, who I really want them to take at in the late lottery. What Did do you, you think, read Sage? my diary? Oh, we've been hyping Denzel up all, all year. Right. You know it. Well, all right. Here, here, here's what the Blazers do if they get a draft pick. Three or four they get a player who's been in the college for three or four years, a veteran that will come in and produce. And if they don't go that route, they go for a Euro star that's been in a professional for a while. They want someone who can contribute today. Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons are young. There's not that many dudes that are 18, 19 come in and contribute in a positive way. So it's either a Euro player that's been in in their league for a long time or three or a four-year player. Valentine, Demetrius Johnson, if he was who they want. Jackson? Yes. Yeah, so or another guy from Michigan, Laverne. It's one of those three to four year college players. That's who they're going to draft if they make a trade. What's your question? My question comes via Twitter from Blaze the Duck. He says, What type of free agent could Portland realistically sign given the trajectory of the franchise with a superstar point guard? I love this question. I've been thinking about it all night. I'm going to give you first crack at it, though. The player, what type? So what caliber can we get? I think... So we're looking at guys like LeBron and KD as no. tier one. No, no. But I think right now, I guess I'll jump in and answer. I'm not meaning to cut you off. I think we're able to sign tier two free agents right now. So that's Parsons, Ryan Anderson. Uh... Whiteside, DeRozan. The the second, pretty much, I think we have the ability to sign anybody other than Durant or LeBron. Mm-hmm. I would agree and with I, that. And then it's just the flavor that you're looking for. Exactly. And I think if Portland continues on this trajectory, say they make the playoffs this year, 
next year it's to the second round and you've got even more money in 2017 maybe that that uber uber free agent finally signs in portland because they're like i want to play with damian lillard this team is on the rise they're headed towards you know not only the conference finals but possibly the finals i want to be on that team when it happens uh, it's crazy to think i probably shouldn't be thinking that because history tells us the complete opposite that good free agents don't sign in portland but we've never had a type of leader like lillard before and uh i think players are taking notice he is a a great guy that's very charismatic really from all accounts does not have an ego in the locker room and commands respect so while it might not be katie or lebron this year maybe next year if portland keeps it up they could get that that a-list star or disgruntled stars if we keep getting assets we can pull a uh get a disgruntled star in two years you could get blake griffin and he'd want to resign here yeah yeah. All right, Sage. It is eleven fourteen. We've been, you know, yamming for about hour and thirty two minutes, like usual. We could go on all night, but uh, our fans. It, I think this is we're gonna wrap this one up. You know, if you love us, if you like the podcast, go give us five stars on iTunes. Hit that subscribe button. You can also find this podcast on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. And if you have an email or want to send us any questions, uh, hit us up at holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. And as always, find us on Twitter at holybackboard, talking during, before, and after all the Blazer games. Sage, it was another great episode. Yeah, man. Let's, let's, get, let's get at least two wins this week, maybe three. But hopefully two. But hopefully two. All right, everybody. We're out. Let's